seated. Wow, what a difference a week makes, huh? So good to have a lot of you back, and uh, we're getting there, church family. We're, we're on the mend, and so there'll be a few more next week as well, but it's good to have you with us this morning. You guys going to stay up there the whole time, or no, okay, maybe, all right. Appreciate Jenny being here, and she didn't mention Jeff. Jeff is like one of my favorite people at LAPS. He volunteers as well, and um, now you may question some of the board members at LAPS because they actually put me on the building committee at LAPS. Now, just so you know, Jeff does 99.9% of all the maintenance work and all that part, and I do the, the 1%. And if you know, like, Toolman Tim, right, I'm the Tim Allen of the group, and Jeff is Al. So in case you're just wondering, that last building is under good, good care. But they do let me serve on that committee, and uh, we have a lot of fun there. Um, I do. I enjoy being on the board and uh, getting to spend time and getting to know Jenny more and more as we uh, work through people issues. Because guess what? Every organization has people, and with people, there comes issues. And so it's a good opportunity there. One of the other things that Jenny didn't mention, and one of the things I do also like about LAPS is they work hard at sharing the gospel and presenting that. They also pray um, not only for the people that come in, but they pray with them when they're given that opportunity. So there's a lot of elements to us, and obviously that works coincidentally with our faith. And so I really appreciate that about LAPS, and, uh, and Jenny does a good job with that, and she allows me to speak quite often. Um, at the board meetings and also into some of the staff there. So keep praying for laps, keep working uh, towards that as a church body. Uh, we want to support that. So that being said, this morning's message, Jenny asked me to do something that was connected to uh, laps and sanctity of life, and so I'm going to be working through a little bit of that, or at least a portion of that, uh, in today's message. The title of today's message is The Unknown Hero. And uh, I was actually sharing with Landon last night, sometimes the title of a message is mean something, sometimes not so much, or they don't quite go. And, and this is one of those titles that it's just a so-so. I, I got to tell you, I'm not that excited about it. I didn't want to say unsung hero, because that didn't really work either. Unknown, I have to kind of qualify it, right? Maybe unknown heroes are among us, among us as people. Like many of you probably didn't know that Jeff did the maintenance at LAPS and does a lot of that work until this morning. But there's someone that knows every thought, every deed, everything that we do, right? God. God knows that. So it's not truly, totally unknown. But that's the title of today's message. All right, I got a question for you. Does anyone know who Mordecai Ham is? All right, it's not a rhetorical question. Mordecai Ham, anyone know? Jeb, are you asking Heidi? She doesn't, she doesn't tell you anything? No, okay. Mordecai Ham. No one know who Mordecai Ham is? All right, never heard of him? Yeah. How about if I said Billy Graham? Everyone know Billy Graham here? All right, that's good. Well, we're awake, so that's good. Mordecai Ham is the one that led Billy, uh, Billy Graham to Christ, and so helped him start that, that ministry, encouraged him, and discipled him when he was a young man. So um, he's an unknown hero, if you want to say, in many respects. And you know what? There are a lot of those around us. There's a lot of them. I will guarantee there's a lot of them right here this morning, right? 
I know a lot of you in my Point Way family, you're an unknown hero. Sometimes I, I think PJ looks at my notes because she was kind of stealing a little bit of that, but she was talking about like where you're placed at your place of work, maybe your place of where you hang out, maybe when you're out in the marketplace, you can be an unknown hero there as well. And certainly uh, as we work in organizations and extensions of Pointway, our community, we can be one of those heroes. All right, so I've asked you one question. I'm going to ask you one more. I want to make sure I pronounce uh, these names right. Has anyone ever heard of Shipra and Pua? If I'm pronouncing it right. Shipra and Pua. Nobody? PJ, you don't count. Sorry. No, you count. You count very much, though. So. <laughs> Man. I, Man. I got in trouble two weeks ago, and I was working really hard this week, and I knew she was going to be in service. No. PJ, you count very much, but I know you know a little bit of where I'm preaching on, so she's she got an inside scoop. But does anyone know who they are? All right. Hopefully by today, when we leave, you'll know who they are. Okay? All right. Exodus chapter 1. We're going to jump all the way back to Exodus chapter 1. All right? Oh, now a couple more of them over there. No, because PJ's over there trying to do the spoiler alert. All right. Exodus chapter 1. We're going to talk a little bit about Moses this morning. Um, and again, I, I always laugh how things work out. PJ this morning was all excited about Jeremiah and the exiles in Babylon. And I said to her, I said, well, that's great, honey, but I'm back even further in the Old Testament than you are. We're not on quite the same page. So uh, at this point, Israel is in uh, exile into Egypt. And so they're being looked over by transition into it right now. It's coming out of Joseph, um, a time of good time, but they're going into a transition into a time of some difficulties. And so they're being oppressed, basically. Uh, there's going to be a change of leadership, and we'll see that. So if you have your Bibles, if not, the guys are awesome as always. They've got it up there for you. Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. You say, well, why is that important? All right, well, again, context is key here, right? The Egyptians have these folks within them. They've conquered them. They're within their midst, and that group keeps growing. And again, it's just not normal growth. It's exponentially. It's growing rapidly. And so the leadership is saying, all right, we're over them right now, but now this group is getting bigger, and it's growing fast. Um, and there's some unsettledness. There's some uneasiness. Um, this causing some tension. And again, we know that God does bless through childbearing, through children. There's blessings that come with that. And so, even more so, they're growing as a nation within a nation. And so now they've got this problem to deal with. And it's creating, um, the Israelites are having favor, but the Egyptians are getting concerned. Verse 8, we see this. It says, Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came into power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. We must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. Right? 
They've got a great labor force, right? That's one of the things that the Egyptians were really good at is when they conquered a, a people group or they had them within, they became slaves. And they became slaves that were, were good workers. And again, part of them, I'm sure, wanted to have more slaves and more workers, but there was a tipping point. And they were coming to that point where it's no longer healthy for us as a nation. We've got too many people. And again, if a war breaks out, they're going to be the first ones to probably join the other side. And so they've got to come up with a plan. And so they have a new king. And again, he's kind of forgotten the promises of the old, right? Joseph had found favor. If you know the story of Joseph, if you don't, guess what? You can go back and read it in your Bible. It's just going backwards into Genesis a little bit, right? But there's a transition, and now Joseph's been forgotten or purposely not been remembered. I would like to say it's kind of a little bit better way of putting that. And now the Egyptians, are seeing, the Egyptians are seeing the Israelites as a problem. And so they've got to come up with a plan. How are we going to deal with this? How are we going to work through this? And so the king actually comes up with three plans. And we're going to go through those plans because we'll see how even though man has a plan, God changes that plan. And despite the plan, God still is at work. And so it's always a good reminder to us. And so verse 11 is plan A. As far as the king is concerned, he goes, So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pythium and Ramus at the store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Again, it says that a couple times, right? They're, they're not being good leaders. They're not being good bosses. In fact, they're not appreciative at all of the work that's being done. And it's interesting here. It even gives us a little glimpse. And again, you look into history, it talks about brick and mortar. Now, I don't know if we have any masons in here or anyone that's done work with cement, but it's hard work. And again, back then it was even harder work. Harder, harder. Yeah, I can say that, right? That's a couple hours in that one. That's a little bit tougher for me. But it's hard work. Um, I remember I went on a missions trip to the Ukraine when I was in Hungary. And again, we were building a foundation. And I, I've done a little bit of cement work, and I, I know a little bit of it, parts of it. I know one thing, it's a lot easier with a mixer, or it's a lot easier to call up a cement company and have them come in. In the Ukraine, they didn't have that. It's a very poor country, they don't have a lot of those tools, so we were literally doing it, a shovel of sand, a little bit of mortar, a little bit of water, mixing it up, if you've ever carried barrel, then we were putting it in buckets, and again, two buckets is easier to carry than one, if you've ever carried, you've carried milk, you know, right? Two is a lot easier, right? And we would physically carry them and pour them in bucket at a time. It took a lot of work, a lot of labor, for very little result. It took a long time. So I can only imagine, even going back further, that it had to be even harder for these folks. All that to say is, they are being oppressed, and they, again, they're not even being appreciated. It's one thing to, to work hard and, and get appreciation or see something accomplished, but to work hard and then still be treated ruthlessly. We know from other parts of Scripture and looking back that they were probably whipped. Uh, they were worked long days. They didn't care if you had an injury or sick. You had to work. 
And not only the men, the women worked, the kids worked. Everyone was expected to take place to help out. And despite all that, they kept having children. They kept multiplying. They kept growing, right? God is still in control. All right, verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, we're going to plan B now, right? Plan A didn't work, we're going to go into plan B. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were Shipra and Puha. All right, so now you know at least it's women, right? Right, and there's two of them. And you know their, their, their profession, their midwives. Guess what? You're not going to hear much more about them. This is about the only place in Scripture that, it's the only place in Scripture that they're mentioned. But these midwives. So, I've already, I didn't ask you again who they are because now you know. All right? Verse 15. Verse 16 says, When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. And they let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked him, Why have you done this? Why have you left the boys to live? All right, so we have these two Hebrew midwives. Again, remember, they're part of the same culture. They're, they know what's going on. And now they've been asked to do something very difficult. Really, what they're, they're being asked to, something that they feel passionately about. They're helping these ladies give child, childbirth, through childbirth, and now they're making a decision whether it's a male or a female. And if it's a male, the idea was that they would take the, the male child and they would throw him into the, the Nile River and they would drown to death. That's what was being asked of them. Tough stuff. You say, well, that would be very difficult to do. And remember, it's not only difficult for them to do, but they also know the consequence, right? Again, they're in a foreign land. The king has asked you to do something. Pretty much, if you don't do what the king says, it usually means death. And they know that. Grave consequences. But we see that they feared God. Verse 17, I have it highlighted, underlined. Isn't that the, the change of everything, right? They feared God. We talked about this a little while ago, that, that fear is a reverence and awe, but even a, 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 to fear God, the fear of God. That it is more important to fear God than it is to fear, in this case, the king or man himself. And so they take that, that, that reverence they have for God, and they say, you know what, we're going to do what God wants us to do. Those are heroes. Those are heroes in the faith. How many times are we faced with the same thing, right? We, we have decisions, we have things, we have laws, we have situations, and we have to make a decision. Am I going to go along with the culture? Am I going to go along with what's acceptable? Or am I going to fear God and do what God wants me to do? And again, there are real consequences with that. They chose to fear God. And look at the response. I mean, this response is interesting, right? They, they get caught. They, the, the king realizes it's not working, and so he confronts them, and he says, uh, what have you done? Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwife's answer is Pharaoh. says, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. 
They are vigorous. They give birth before the midwives even arrive. Now, commentators go back and forth. They, they, you know, there could be some truth to this. Probably not. They probably lied to the king. Again, either way, it's in protection of these children. But they're caught, and they're, they're standing for the king. They've got to give an answer, and here's their answer. It's like, hey, the kids are already there before we get there. And once again, we see that despite what the king wants, God is still in control. God is still allowing the Hebrews to grow in number. Verse 20. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Remember, quite often in the Old Testament, sign of a blessing, sign of you were on the right track. Question that. If you're doing the right thing was you'd have kids. You that are parents now question that and say, is that really a blessing or not? <laughs> Rachel, you're a blessing. I can't have both the women in my life <laughs> mad at me on the way home. No. <laughs> but they are. Children are a blessing. And again, it's a sign. And, and so God, even in that, says, you know what? I wouldn't even bless them. Now, if you're the king, you've seen the problem, you've come up with solution number one, plan A, that hasn't worked, so all right, plan B, and guess what, now plan B isn't working, in fact, even the people you sent to help you with plan B have kind of turned against you, and now they actually are having kids. As a leader, I would be pretty frustrated, right? You know, how many times have you had a project and you, you think you got a plan, you're all set, you implement it, and all of a sudden it, it doesn't work? Okay, well, we'll go to plan B, we'll start something else. Well, usually, at best, you have plan B. You don't have usually plan C, but this king has to come up with plan C because it's a real threat to his nation. And so we're going to see here now plan C. So then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Interesting here, right? Takes it up a notch. He's not going to rely upon the midwives anymore. He's just going all out, makes this decree. They're going to kill every male child. And I don't, we don't know what, up to what age, but it's thought to be up to two or three years old. They're, he's really going to limit the number of males. And again, the thinking is, those are the ones that are going to be rise up as an army. They're the ones that are going to be the ones that could turn against them. So that's why the males, not the females as well. So he makes this decree. In the midst of all this, we have chapter 2 in Exodus, but we also have something else going on. God's got a plan. God's still at work. In the midst of this terrible time, Again, they've started killing babies at this point. God still has a plan. And so chapter 2, I want to dive into that quickly here because we are going to get into chapter 2 a little bit as well. It says, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was, fine, he was a fine child, she said to him, for, she hid him, sorry, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. All right? Again, we have two ordinary people. 
right? They're, they're unsung in many ways. It's a husband and wife. They're in the midst. They're working. They're part of this, this, this group. They have a child, a son, and they said that you know, he was a fine, fine young man. I, gotta, I don't know that any parent ever says that they're not fine. I mean, I, you know, hey, look at my ugly child. I've never heard a parent say that to me. They're, they're all pretty. They're all good. They're all fine. Um, you know, when they grew up, it's a different story. But as a baby, they're pretty much all fine, right? Not you, Rachel. <laughs> Working hard. No. But it's interesting here, and I get some humor out of this, but they tried to hide him, and they hit him for about three months, and then it became hard to hide, right? I mean, our kids are pretty quiet here in, at Point Way, and this morning, I appreciate you kids hanging in there with us, because we don't have camp today, but, you know, kids get tougher and tougher as they get older, and so it's hard to, you know, what would you do with a kid? You know, you can only leave them with so many people and trying to hide them in so many places, but three months is pretty young, and they're going to they're gonna squawk. They get in their lungs. They're starting to make some noise. So they can't hide them. And so mom comes up with an idea, right? We're going to make a basket. And the translations kind of lose something here. And I, I just found this out this week. And I'm, I'm just going to share it with you because it's just kind of interesting. But the actual Hebrew word for this is actually ark, the same word that Nor used on the ark. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. I, I've read through this passage a number of times, and I've never heard that. But it's interesting. It's the same word. Same materials in some ways. Uh, the tar and pitch was part of what Noah put on the outside of the ark. And again, it's interesting. They're going to put them into the water. So there's some correlation there. I don't think that's by accident. So that's why I wanted to bring that to your attention. But it's interesting. It's the same exact word. But, you know, in Sunday school, we always saw them weaving the little baskets. In fact, I think we've made those for a little cup of basket and read and put it in it. Now, this was something that was time. It was crafted. Um, the intent was to protect this child. Again, a, a place to hide it. Again, mom had no idea what the outcome was going to be, but it was at least an alternative. It was probably getting him out of the chances of being killed immediately, even if it was just temporary. And so mom does this, and she brings him down the river, and she puts in the water. And fortunately, we have the sister to kind of keep an eye on things. And again, that may have been part of the protection, part of watching out, but we also get the part of the story. And so, verse 5 says, Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. All right, just picture the scene, right? This mom is, has relinquished control of the child and, and let it out. And, and again, that's a, that's a big step in itself. But again, under the fear of death, she puts it out. And the baby is just along the river. And just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter happens to pick that day to go down and bathe at the Nile. Again, it wasn't a regular thing, but the Nile was a place of thought of healing protection, but then obviously with, um, it was also danger. Uh, there were things in the now that would, you know, you had to be careful. And so she's down there with her attendants, and she finds this baby. <clears throat> and make no doubt, she knows right away that it's a Hebrew baby. And she, it's a Hebrew boy, she knows right away, and she has a choice, right? Remember who her 
father is, right? Her father is the king. He's the one that's making sure these babies don't live. She knows all that, but she sees this child. And then she's asked immediately with a question, and she responds. Her response is interesting. She says, yes, go. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him into Pharaoh's daughter, took him into Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. The response is interesting, again, because his daughter knew the consequences, yet had compassion and mercy. There's no mention here, and I don't believe that there would be any reason to believe that Pharaoh's daughter had any idea of who God was, um, had that, obviously had a relationship with God. But something inside of her, God used her, that saw this baby and says, you know what, I need to protect this one. This one is different. This one is special. This one child is special, Right? Like we don't even have Pharaoh's daughter's name. She's another unknown. And unknowns for her, she's another hero in this story. Right? Now you know the story of Moses. Moses goes on and leads his people out of Egypt. He becomes arguably one of the best leaders that they had. Not perfect. We also know that Moses, by being raised in Pharaoh's household, had a lot of the training that he was going to need in the desert. Not only military, but just knowing the land, knowing how to deal with people. He had advantages. Advantages that if he hadn't lived, he certainly wouldn't have had, but even if he had had somehow gotten through that period of time and and gotten to be an older boy, as an Israelite in the Egyptian land, would not have, certainly probably had done very well. He would have been just among the masses. But God had a plan for that one child. All because of two unknown heroes, Shipra and Puha, and many other people along the way. So, as PJ mentioned this morning a little bit, where can you have influence? Where can you be that unknown or unsung hero? Right. So let me tell you what you can do. A couple things. One, I would say pray. Not because we're only just doing the 40 days of prayer, but we need to always be praying. We always need to be seeking God's will. What does he want us to do? Right? God may not ask us to go up against the king, but he may ask us to be a witness wherever he places us. And I think of laps, especially if just one child get saved. Praise God. We don't know where that's going to lead. We don't know who that next person's going to become. <laughs> he may become the next, not king, but president, or he may be the one that becomes the next you know, leader of his people. We don't know. Secondly, we can always give, and that give is multiple faceted. We can give financially, we can give of our time, can volunteer, We can just be actively seeking and sharing our faith. Again, wherever that is. 
And then we can also promote. We can also promote those things. If we know of someone that may be struggling, uh, I know with LAPS we, we struggle with that mightily, is, is getting the word out, knowing that there are options, knowing about all the different services they provide. Right? But never forgetting about God and that. The gospel, the power of that, the salvation through Jesus Christ. So those are some of the things that we can do here at Pointway and throughout this week. I would challenge us to do it even this week so we can be those unknown heroes. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for how you work. We're thankful that you don't need to use people, but you choose to use people. You use each and every one of us. It's not dependent on our standing. It's not dependent on our education. It's not dependent on anything, Lord. It's dependent on you. And Lord, we just pray that you would continue to use us. You continue to help us to see the places that you want us to serve and to be, to be that light. Lord, I do pray for those that are seeking a decision on whether to have a child or not, Lord. Lord, I pray that you to make the right decision and to keep that life. Continue to bless laps, continue to help them as they um, minister in this area, Lord. Lord, we also pray for those mothers and fathers, Lord, that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior and that that child would come to know you as Lord and Savior as well. And Lord, I just thank you for this morning and for your people. In Jesus' name, amen.